All right, it is time to get started. Let's, uh, let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that we could be here today, and we pray that you would bless our time in your word, and uh, we pray, Lord, that you would grow us deeper in our faith, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so as I like to do uh, last week, was there anything uh, valuable, anything that stuck with you through the week, anything that came to mind? Yeah. Well, it reminded me uh, uh, in this one section here from Romans 11, 1 to 4, how many times the Israelites gave up on God and uh, fell by the wayside and <clears throat> he always came, came back to them. Yeah. I think that's, a, that's an important reminder for us, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. Anything else? All right. So we're going to continue through. Um, we're going to finish up one through four, and hopefully um, we'll get through at least ten today. But, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, you know me well enough to know that I'm very easy to get off track. Um, but uh, once again, the passage in question, Romans 11, one through four, I ask then, has God rejected his people? And, you know, make sure you take notice of the answer to that. This is really important because there are people out there who believe and teach that God has rejected the Jews and they're under his punishment. This was part of uh, the final solution in uh, um, Nazi Germany. And uh, while I never expected that to be an issue that we would need to deal with, you know, there does seem to be a rise in um, Nazism, and it's connected to the church in some places, a, a weird form of what they call Christian nationalism, um, which I find to be neither Christian nor particularly nationalistic. Um, but... Uh, um, Hitler had his German Christianity. Yes. Well, and, and this is something that you've heard me talk about, too, that American Christianity has a different flavor to it than what you see in other parts of the world because it's, we're very much steeped in individualism. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I was listening to the Lutheran Hour this morning and uh, one of the points that was made, um, uh, Dale Meyer, uh, if any of you remember Dale Meyer, he was a previous speaker on the Lutheran Hour. He was the president at Concordia Seminary um, after I was there and um, he's doing a commentary, commentary on First Peter. And uh, it hasn't come out yet. I'm looking forward to it. But uh, one of the things that he says is that, you know, we read First Peter, and there's this little word in there that keeps showing up. Y-O-U. And in English, you could be you individually, or it could be plural. And it's always Plural in first peter but because we're so steeped in uh, our our individualistic culture our tendency is to read that as a singular and it's about me but that's that's not what it's doing it's actually about uh, yeah all y'all you know yeah or you know if you're from pittsburgh yens right you know so you know got to translate it into the vernacular um you know, you need those plurals. So are they going to make that the new, new changes to the Bible? Um, since I'm from northern Michigan, it will probably be used guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the way we talked back up there. <laughs> um, so what's, what's the answer? Has God rejected his people? 
Absolutely not. God's salvation is for all people. And, you know, and he goes on to point this out. He says, I'm an Israelite. I'm descended from Abraham. From the tribe of Benjamin. Notice that. Uh, that's kind of important, actually, because Benjamin was the smallest of the tribes, the most insignificant of them, and often the most problematic. Um, and uh, um, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or don't you know what the scripture say, says in the passage of, about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel. Here's a prophet, and he's you know, basically calling on God's judgment against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I'm the only one left, and they're trying to take my life. They're trying to kill me too. And what does God answer him? I have 7,000 for myself whom I, who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Now, um, last week we spent a bit of time talking about uh, Elijah and uh, kind of explaining uh, his life and, and going through that story. And again, if you weren't here, I do want you to, uh, I would encourage you to go back to 1 Kings chapter 17, 18, and 19. Read that through. These are some of the great Sunday school stories uh, that come out of that, that section. Um, in, incredible stuff where God's doing miracles through his prophet and you know, confronting and proclaiming his word. But I also want to, uh, to point out something really important that as Elijah speaks to God and he says, I'm the only one left, there's a real critical misunderstanding about who is doing what in the kingdom of God. Elijah has moved to a point where he has gone from being God's servant who basically proclaims what God tells him to do. You go here, you say that word, and then God does what God does. To, this is all on me. And I think this is something that happens in the church today. Um, I, I see this in evangelism sometimes. We've got to do these things. And, you know, if we don't, then the kingdom's going to fall. And uh, th this type of an attitude. And God's response to Elijah is important for us to hear too. God's the one who preserves his church. So, you know, we look at the state of, of the church across the United States, uh, other places of the world. You know, I hear about people going to Europe and they're so discouraged because they go to these beautiful cathedrals and they're empty. And, and they ask the, the question, what are we going to do to save the church? And the answer is, you aren't going to do anything to save the church. Because at one level, the church doesn't need saving. Yeah. Jesus has already done it. Um, and, and he's promised, you know, that the gates of hell will not prevail. You know, that... You know, we're in his hands. We're, we're, we're fine. And he, he will make sure that his word is proclaimed. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that, you know, don't go evangelize. You know, no, this is part of our lives. But it's, it's a fruit that he brings into our life. That we share the good news. Good news. Um, as we say in First uh, Peter, our epistle reading for today... We're here to declare the excellencies of our Savior who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know, we share the good news, but it's God who does the preserving, the saving. Um, and I would 
just kind of keep working that through. Who's going to fix the world? You know, uh, I got in trouble, um, put that in, in air quotes, you know, because it wasn't real trouble. But uh, uh, I was talking about, you know, being a, a kind of an environmental, um, concerned about the environment, but I always remember that in the end, this world's going to end, right? Yeah. You know, I, I talk about that a lot. And, uh, you know, and, and so I, I talked about how, you know, the, the world is groaning. That's Romans, right? Uh, it's groaning in eager expectation for the revelation of the, the children of God. And, oh, for that day to come. Yeah. And then somebody's like, oh, so Jesus is just going to fix everything when he comes back. And we just sit here and do nothing and pollute the earth. And, blah, 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 blah. and I was like, <laughs> um, I was like, don't. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But do hear this. No matter how hard you work on saving the earth and cleaning up the environment, you're not going to succeed. Right. You can make it better. And I think that that is something that's worth striving for. But you're not going to fix it. This world, it's, it's heading to destruction. Yeah. And the day will come when Jesus will return and all will be set right. And that's our final confidence. We're not going to, we're, you know, we get this mixed up in our heads. We have to do, we have to do. No, no. Did, did you, there was, a, there was a news story this week about a star eating a planet. Yeah. Did you see that? A star thing? eating planet? Yes. No. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just really striking. You see this picture, and here is a star, and next to it is a planet, and then the star is getting bigger. And then in the final picture, the planet is surrounded with the planet, and there's a big explosion going on. And that's been theoretically predicted before. Okay. This is the first time they actually got pictures of it. It's projected here as best we can project. It happened in about 95 million years, I think. So we have time to get ready. Yeah, I'm, 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 I guess I won't worry. I won't add that to the things I'm worried about, you know. Right. <laughs> but it, it just, uh, you know, it, it puts things in a different perspective when you see something like that, at least for me, actually happen. Yeah. Yeah. I heard of like black holes, you know. Well, and, yeah. But I'd never heard of a planet that. Yeah. Interesting. So um, there's a little there's a little acronym uh, right below that, and one of the things that as I read this through, uh, I always want to remember um, this little eggbox thing. Everything is going to be okay, and it doesn't depend on you. It's going to be okay. Because Jesus keeps his promises. Now, going to be okay does not mean that it is okay right now, right? You know, Elijah went through some fear and he went through some struggles and he went through difficult times. Those times, if you were like, you know, is everything okay? No, everything's not okay. But it's going to be. And that allows us to live with hope. So, has God rejected his people? No, no. And yet... We're not going to, you know, become so worked up about this that, uh, that we think that this is all about us and what we do. But we trust that God is working. 
and that he'll use us in the process to bring the gospel to others. Um, so uh, Romans eleven five through 6. In the same way, then, there's also at the present time a remnant chosen by grace. Now, if by grace, then it is not by works. Otherwise, grace ceases to be grace. So, I want you to think for a minute. How did you become a Christian? Osmosis. There's a word of truth in that, right? Yeah. You know. I mean, there comes a time in adolescence when you sort of have to go and make it your own. Yes. But it's not a revolution. For some people. For, for a lot of us. Yeah. You know, especially like in the Lutheran church, um, you know, as, a, uh, as a church body that baptizes babies, uh, the, the, the biggest growth in our church across the history of the church body has really been based on baptizing babies and uh, big families. You know, so um, they're looking at the church and they're saying, uh, you know, we're shrinking. We're not growing as fast as we need to grow. A lot, of that, a lot of that's really related to you know, families are not having as many babies as they used to have. You know, and I, I, I actually do remember our synodical president at one point saying, you know, that's, that's part of the solution is we need to have more babies. I'm like, thank you. Uh, however, um, I think that there are other solutions that are involved here with... Uh, Engaging our um, uh, communities, sharing the gospel, getting the word out, and uh, you know, being the people that God has created us and redeemed us to be. Um, and he'll work through that. But, uh, um, you know, so there, there is that sense of, I was born. Is it, well, let's see if this reflects your story. I was born. About a month later, my parents brought me to church. I was baptized. They raised me in the church. We went to church Sunday mornings. When I was old enough, I went to Sunday school. They sent me to a Lutheran school. That, that might be a little bit of an outlier. Um, and then uh, you know, when I was old enough, they sent me to Sunday school, vacation Bible school, and uh, then confirmation class. I was in the Lutheran school, so I got to have that as part of my school day. Mm -hmm. um, there was one person in my confirmation class who was a public school kid. I felt so bad for her. Because she had to have classes all by herself with pastor. Oh, and I loved my pastor dearly. But, uh, you know, that, I, I taught confirmation at one time with one student. That's hard. And those of you who are teachers, you know that those one-on-one -on -one type of situations, they can be very, very fruitful. But over and over and over again, that gets... It gets tough, especially if there's any kind of resistance. Um, and then, uh, um, you know, high school, youth group. Does that sound familiar? You know, I, I think for a lot of us as Lutherans, that's how it is. You know, Steve, I saw you kind of go like that, you know. Yeah, it's different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which denomination did you grow up in? Uh, Southern Baptist. Okay. Moderate Southern Baptist. And so you had to make... Uh, the public walk, a profession of faith. Yes. So, so no infant baptism, right? No infant baptism. Right. So 
in some ways I look back on that and when I went through confirmation, when I moved to Ohio and went through confirmation class, I'd already gone through all of these steps. I'd already taken mm -hmm. these classes. I had made the profession of faith and all of the kids who I was with, most of them really didn't have good faith. They didn't really believe necessarily. They were going through the motions. Yeah. And so I see two sides of the equation. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I do think that there are definitely benefits to uh, um, coming to your baptism later. You know, I, I, I think that there are things that are, are, are blessings in that, just as I think that there are blessings in the other way around, too. Um, and uh, um, that, that conversion experience of, you know, I believe this. It's a powerful thing. And when you look at the early church... Um, a lot of, I mean, many of the people who are coming into church, it's through conversion, right? I mean, at some point you have enough of a critical mass that they are raising children in the faith. Uh -huh. But before that, it's all people who are hearing the gospel and, and they're coming to faith. Yeah, I, when I think back to confirmation classes, I mean, I think all of us, we've been in the church since we were, you know, tiny we weren't lacking in faith or anything, but the confirmation classes seem to have to deal with a lot of little details. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know to what extent that really, you know, no doubt pieces of it stuck with us, but a lot of it was just like sort of learning and yep. not too interesting. Yeah. That's one of the things that's, I think, tricky uh, about um, faith formation. Yeah. Um, are there things that you need to know? Yeah. yeah. You know, and so, you know, like when you go to your history class, and you're like, oh, you know, there's an element of that to, you know, to the faith, teaching the faith. You know, who's Abraham? Who's, you know, Moses? Who was Elijah, this guy that we've been talking about? You know, these stories, you know, Peter, James, John, you know, to, to know something about them, to know those stories, it's an important part of, a Christian upbringing, and, uh, and and we want them to know those things. There are important things about you know how do you understand what's going on in baptism? How do you understand what's going on in the Lord's Supper? Those aren't necessarily the most romantic things to learn about, mm -hmm. you know. And, and so there is a bit of uh, 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 this, you know. I'm here to just kind of give you the facts. That that's part of confirmation and Christian education in general. And I, I would include Sunday school and uh, those things with Christian education. But there's also, there also needs to be this element of um, how, how does this impact your life? How do you walk in faith? What is, dis well, the, the word that keeps coming to my mind is discipleship. Mm -hmm. You know, Jesus had the disciples with them and they traveled around and of course he's dealing with adults you know with the possible exception of john um and, and going around with them and uh he's teaching but they're just kind of living together they're doing it together you know and that is one of the things that i i think is kind of lacking right now and i'm trying to figure out um how do we bring that to you know to our students and, and it's a tricky thing. Um, 
You know, so those of you who have gone through my new member class, uh, you know that I give like a devotion book that uh, it, it'll take you through the whole catechism. You do some scripture readings, but there are also prayer exercises that are, are part of that. You know, and, and so what I'm trying to do is inculcate the, uh, those practices. I do something similar to that with the kids. And I fear that it goes something like this. Here's your devotion book. Let me show you how to use this. And that's the last time they touch it. I fear that when I hand it to adults, too. Uh, but uh, um, I, I've had some adults who have said, you know, oh, this is, you know, this is useful, this is helpful. So, um, but they might just be buttering me up, I don't know. <laughs> I was at a poetry reading the other night, and there, there was one lady there They introduced to someone whose profession was writing daily devotionals mm. for whatever religion was paid. <laughs> she covered them all. I'll tell you all the Hindu one is okay. <laughs> all right then. So, how did you become a Christian? I, I think this is worth thinking about, and I think it's a question that's worth taking back to your catechism. You know that boring book that your pastor made you study back in the day, because. Actually, the older I get, the more brilliant I find it to be. Um, it, this is actually one of the great works of history. It, it really, it, Plato, Aristotle, you know, all of those you know, great works, this belongs with it. Um, the third article of the Creed. So today in church, we've done or we will do um, the Apostles' Creed. You got those three parts, right? Talk about the Father, which, you know, all about creation. We've got the Son, all about justification or redemption. And then that last part about the Holy Spirit, the Holy uh, Christian Church, and, and all of that stuff. Um, for me, even, even when I was a kid, I grabbed onto that explanation. And I think that this is something really important. Uh, none of us comes to faith on our own power. You know, even if we make a decision for Christ, that de decision is something that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And Luther explains it this way. He says, I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. This is something that's outside of my power. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the one holy Christian church, in which church he daily calls, gathers, and enlightens, you know, all believers in Christ, and then there's more after that. But this idea that no, no matter how old you were, no matter whether it was when you were baptized, when you were little, or, you know, it came much later in life, because like Emil, the guy I did the, the uh, funeral for, I baptized him, he was in his 80s. You know, that, that was not, part, faith wasn't particularly important to him when, when he was a kid. And uh, he never, never got baptized. You know, so, you know, those gifts then that are connected to baptism were given to him later in life. The work of, of the Holy Spirit that's done through baptism was done later in his life. And, uh, and I think that that's actually really important when we think about, okay, how does this word go out? How, how much grace is necessary in order for people to be saved? 
And it's all grace. It's all about what God is doing freely and, and lovingly in you. And, and so, you know, this, this idea that we come here to church and we believe this, this is a gift. And, and so I, part of what Paul is setting us up for here is to understand that our relationship with God, whether you're a Jew or you're a Gentile, is completely re- related to this grace and this forgiveness and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, this work that he does through the word and through the sacraments in order to bring forgiveness and salvation to you. So no matter how you experienced coming to be a Christian, ultimately the answer to the question of how did you come to be a Christian is that the Holy Spirit created faith in me. And the same is true for all of those people out there that, you know, we want to draw to faith. It's not my job to convince them. It's not my job to cajole cajole them. It's not my job to force them. It's my job to share the word of God where the Holy Spirit does his work. Now, Now, when I say that it's my job, I don't want you to mishear that, because that's very much a singular. Um, I'm, I'm talking about, that's the royal, you know, my, that's, that's all of us, you know. So um, I, I posted a, a, some statistics uh, about people coming to church and getting connected to a church. About 6% of people who join a church got there because the pastor invited them to church. How do you like that effectiveness rate? 87% of the people who get connected to a church is because members of the congregation invited people to church. It's because members shared their faith. They shared their their walk of faith with their friends and their neighbors. So if the model in in our mind, and in some church bodies, and some parts of our church bodies, the mindset is that the pastor does all this. No. No. You know, it, not only is that ineffective, you know, it, it, it's just objectively, it doesn't work. Yeah, Alex. So the last 7% is of their own volition? Some of them find their way there, and I, there was another category. Um, I'll have to look for that. I don't remember what the rest of them... You know, yeah, but yeah, I don't, hmm. oh, advertising, advertising, and that was really, really small, yeah, that was like, there, so, I, it was, it was something, it was something like, you know, 6% through, um, you know, the pastor, you know, 6%, you know, through, um, uh, they found it on their own, and like 1% was, uh, you know, they saw an ad, <laughs> And how much money have we spent over the years on advertising? And it's like, that was a great investment. That was a wonderful ROI. Um, yes? But just so you don't get too depressed, I think a lot of the reason that people stay in a church has a lot to do with... Oh, that's kind. Thank you. <laughs> no, there is, there is an element of truth to that, that um, uh, the pastor should do a good job. And, uh, and that does matter. So, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know what the percentages are, but it just seems to me that 
there's a different there's a different presence for a church, not necessarily an urban church, but a, an in the center of town church. Yes. That people walk past every day. And yes. Eventually, they may be having a hard time or something and decide to stop in. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, you know, and that is one of the things that uh, I, I've uh, I love where we're at. Um, we have a beautiful uh, piece of land here. We are really blessed to be where we're at. But it is a very different um, mindset. You have to intentionally drive there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you know, we're not a neighborhood church. You know, um, we draw from multiple communities. You know, and people drive by other churches to get here. Yeah. You know, and... Uh, um, I mean, we're blessed to be where we are. We're blessed with the uh, um, ability to confess about creation with the, the land that we have and, and to do some really neat things. Um, but uh, um, like the, the guys that I've known that have inner city churches that where they're like right there and they're in the middle of the neighborhood, that's a different thing. That's a very but, different thing. And, and the church I grew up in, it was an inner city church location-wise, but nobody in the congregation lived within 10 miles of the church. Mm, yeah. So we had our ministries to the neighborhood. Yeah. But, it, and it was a funny, just sort of coincidence, I probably mentioned, I don't know, but there were two Lutheran churches within a block. Mm, mm -hmm. The LCA, the liberal LCA church was the white church, <laughs> and the, the Missouri City church was the black church. Mm -hmm. There's no enforcement. We would have been happy to have more sure. black people, but that's where the, the roots of the community. Yeah. So it's just a, interesting how that worked out. Yeah. You, the uh, the church that Chris and I were at when we were in St. Louis um, was an inner city church, and um, there were a goodly number of people that came away to get there, um, and then there were other people who were very much from the neighborhood, mm -hmm. and. Uh, I remember there being real tension with, with Pastor Beckman, you know, because he would deal with these homeless people. And there, there's a school there, and people were concerned about, you know, bringing homeless people into the church, and, you know, we're dealing with students, and, you know. But that idea of we are here in a place, and there are people around us that are right there on our doorstep, mm -hmm. literally sometimes, sometimes passed out in their own vomit. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, um, that's a different part of, of, of ministry. It's a different part of the kingdom. And uh, there are beautiful opportunities with that um, and different challenges. You know, and thanks be to God for churches like this, but also for churches like that. You know, and we need to be more intentional in, in terms of how we connect with our neighborhoods. Um, you know, so we do the Easter egg hunt and we have events where, you know, uh, we've got trunk or treat coming up in the fall. You know, things where we can bring people here. Um, the sandwich ministry is a, another really good and important um, tangent of this in that it goes out, you know, to where people are. Now, that's probably not a ministry that's going to bring, you know, a whole bunch of the people that they're working with here. They can't get here. Right, they're, they're, it's not possible for them to get here. Um, and yet, there may be people who are drawn to that ministry 
you know, who are not recipients of the ministry, but they want to support that, mm-hmm. who get connected here. You know, so when you think about kind of that element of you know, how people get connected to the church, there could be some of that that's involved with sandwich people. But um, you know, on the whole, we're not finding people just kind of showing up here because they were going by. And even if you were going by, it's, you know, about a tenth of a mile up the driveway. And so, which, did you know that Hudson wanted us to build a uh, sidewalk? From, yeah. So the, the sidewalk down there, the sidewalk to nowhere. Um, there, there, no, on that side of the road, no, no, just right there. Um, and then they wanted us to build one that went all the way up here. And thankfully, they let us out of that one because that's a lot of concrete. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so we come to faith because the Holy Spirit works in us. And then Romans eleven seven through 10. What then? Israel did not find what it was looking for, but the elect did find it. The rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that cannot see and ears that cannot hear to this day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a pitfall and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and their backs be bent continually. So this is, this is a hard word. Um, this is one of those words about God's judgment on people, and, um, and it is an uncomfortable thought. Um, as much as we, you know, as Christians take comfort in the fact that the Spirit has worked in us, um, that idea that somebody can find themselves in a place where they are living under God's judgment is a difficult thing. Well, but this sounds almost like God was behind the whole thing. Yeah. God made them that. Yeah. Who is who's man to, to condemn them for being what God made them? It's, it's so I, I find that, yeah, it is difficult. It is difficult. Yeah. And, and this idea that God chooses, that God's the one from first to last, that's, it's really uncomfortable stuff. Yeah. And, uh, um, I, and I always want to avoid the double predestination thing, you know, Double predestination is that God predestines some people to heaven and he predestines some people to hell. Um, I I want to avoid that very much because you have to hold this intention with, you know, God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. His desire is the salvation of all people. And yet we we read passages like this where he hardens people's hearts. You know, um, Pharaoh. Pharaoh, yeah. Yeah. And there's a... There's a mystery that's involved here, and God uses those bad situations in order to bring about good. You know, God um, works for the good of those who love him in all circumstances, right? And and yet we we look at this and we're like, you know, and and sometimes people will look at this and they'll say, well, look, God wrote them off, we should write them off. But that's not the point. You know, we don't know who God, you know, has, well, we know that he wants all people to be saved. And that's where we place our feet solidly. And we share the gospel. And then, as I was saying before, we let God figure it out. So what has he called you to do? 
He's called you to be salt and light. Share the hope. Well, that neighbor is particularly obstinate, and he, oh, he's terrible, and there's no way that God could, you know, no, 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 that's not your judgment call. Love your neighbor, share the hope that's within you, and let God take care of all of the rest of that. Now, in this situation, God is basically, or Paul is basically showing us that what God did in Israel as they you know, turned away from his word, they turned away from his grace, is that God used that in order to bring salvation to the Gentiles. And he brought salvation to the Gentiles in order to bring salvation to the Jews. The idea that he presents here is that this would make the Jews jealous in order to draw them back to him. And I think that that's an important for us to consider as we look out at the world and as we think about our relationship with God, that we want to be humble and to receive these things as gifts and to trust in him as we go through these, this life. So the, these passages, they deserve a little bit of looking up. Uh, the first bit is a, a reference to Deuteronomy 29. And uh, that's one of the books of Moses. And I encourage you to look that up. Yes. Yep. Yep. You know, I, I don't remember if I commented on this, but I, I was thinking about it. Um, how much of what we're dealing with in Romans, um, if you're doing the Bible readings, we're touching on things that we've been reading as we've been going through that, that reading challenge. And um, I, th I find that to be a reminder that while we often think of you know, the Bible has these 66 books that have been brought together. Uh, it, it's one book that has these 66 parts. Um, all right, so uh, Deuteronomy 29, 1 through 4 says, These are the words of the covenant that the Lord commanded Moses to make with the Israelites in the land of Moab, in addition to the covenant that he made with them at Horeb. Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, you have seen with your own eyes everything the Lord did in Egypt to Pharaoh, to all his officials, to the entire land. You saw with your own eyes the great trials and those great signs and wonders. Yet to this day, God has not given you a mind to understand, eyes to see, or ears to hear. Moses, how to make friends and influence people. He's calling them to repentance. You know, he, he's, he's thinking back over Deuteronomy. He's thinking back over all the years that he's led these people and all the times they grumbled and all the times they disobeyed. And he's like, that's not going to change when they're in the promised land. Unless something else changes. And he's confronting that in them. And he, he, this idea that, you know, that they, they need to be turned uh, is very much part of what's going on there. Um, Isaiah 29. This is longer. Um, Isaiah 29, verses 9 through 14. Almost there. All right, 9 through 14. Um, 
So this is, this is part of a, a section where he's talking about uh, punishment on, in Jerusalem for their disobedience to him. Some very, uh, very powerful images here. Stop and be astonished. Blind yourselves and be blind. They're drunk, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with beer. For the Lord has poured out on you an overwhelming urge to sleep. He's shut your eyes, the prophets, and covered your heads, the seers. For you, the entire vision will be like the words of a sealed document. If it is given to one who can read and he is asked to read it, he will say, I can't read it because it's sealed. And if the document is given to one who cannot read and he is asked to read it, he will say, I can't read. The Lord said, these people approach me with their speeches to honor me with lip service. Yet their hearts are far from me and human rules direct their worship of me. Therefore, I will again confound these people with wonder after wonder. The wisdom of their wise will vanish, and the perception of their perceptive will be hidden. A lot of this is really about Jesus being the key to the scriptures, about being unable to understand what God is doing without a firm foundation on this hope that he's going to bring a Messiah and that Messiah is Jesus. And so what was happening is they had lost track of this promise that God would bring a Savior, and they turned the religion into works, rules. Do these things. And as long as I do these things, then God's going to be happy with me. And God says, that's not what this is about. It's about what he's doing. And the, the uh, salvation and the forgiveness that he brings. And if you don't have Jesus as the key to understanding the scriptures, then it's like a sealed scroll. You know, you're not going to perceive what it's actually about you're not going to understand what's going on there. Um, that, that idea of uh, the Lord has poured out on you an overwhelming urge to sleep. That's that spirit of the stupor. Um, and I think that there's an element of that in just living in this world. That we just become lulled. And we're not paying attention to what God's saying. And it's always a temptation in our lives. And then the, the last bit is a reference to uh, Psalm 69, um, which is always a psalm that's worth reading. It's one of those ones that is uh, predictive of Jesus' crucifixion. Um, I'm just going to read a couple of the verses, um, but I would encourage you to read through the whole thing there. But in uh, uh, 22 through 23, let the table... Um, let their table set before them be a snare, and let it be a trap for their allies. Let their eyes grow dim to see, and let their hips continually quake. For they persecute the one you struck, and talk about the pain of those you wound. Who's the one that God struck? Who's the one that God struck? 
It's the one who was stricken, smitten, and afflicted by God. Who is that? It's Jesus, yeah. Yeah, so right here, uh, even in this psalm, they persecute Jesus. And it's because of the rejection of Jesus, they don't understand the scriptures. They don't see what's going on there. Um, so we'll pick up on verse uh, 11 next week, but I, I just want to wrap this up with um, part of the book of Revelation, because that book is really clear and easy to understand. Um, and, uh, there's a vision. Part of, Revelation is a vision. It's a series of visions that all build on each other. You know, so when you read Revelation, don't try to take it bit by bit as um, like a, a, a line. Think of it as a swirl uh, that's kind of always going around the same thing. And the, the same thing that it's going around is the time between when Jesus ascended into heaven and when he comes again. And it's just constantly going around on that theme. And early in the book, as it's introducing this, we find John standing in the courts of heaven. And he sees these visions of angels. And he sees the visions of the saints who have gone before the 24 elders symbolic of the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles, you know, in other words, the whole church, you know, from Adam and Eve all the way to that last, you know, Christian, all there assembled before God. And uh, um, there's a scroll that's sealed with seven seals. And no one is worthy to open the scroll. And so John actually starts to weep because nobody can open the scroll. And one of the, uh, the elders says to him, you know, it's okay. The lamb, no, the lion of Judah can open the scroll and read what's in it. And he says, I looked to the lion and I saw a lamb that had been slain. And it's Jesus the only way to really truly understand the whole of the scriptures is Jesus. Adam and Eve, they're, they're holding on to a promise that God's going to send one. That's the faith of the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. God's sending a savior. And everything through this is about God's going to bring a, sal- a savior and there are parts of it that are pretty specific about how that's going to happen. And now it's all about the Savior has come. And Jesus says, all those books, they're about me. And so for us to understand these things, we need Jesus. And Jesus was rejected. And for those who reject Jesus, they've lost the key to be able to understand it. And we're going to build on, on, on that from there um, and how God's grace is still for the Jews and he wants Israel to come back to him. And I've got some other things that might be interesting with that. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that we could be here today. We pray that your blessings uh, as we go about your life, uh, this life that you have given to us, and we pray that you will keep us in your care. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, please do spend some time thinking about something from this that uh, might be a challenge or a hope, uh, that's something that you want to hold on to uh, as you go about your, your life um, and uh, think about how these verses can impact your life of faith.